You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. verses 18 to 27, and can be found on page 824 of the Pew Bibles. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, The man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St John's. I'd encourage you... Uh, to grab a Bible uh, and have it open in front of you. We're on page uh, 824 if you're using the blue Bibles uh, in the seats. Thinking tonight uh, about what hope we might have in the face of death. Uh, Have you got any reason to think that there is more to this life than life here and now. Uh, And if you do, if you've got a sort of hope for life beyond death, how confident are you about it? Is it sort of wishful thinking, uh, cross your fingers, hope that there's something more uh, than this life? Uh, Or is it something more solid, more comforting? Um, You know, if you uh, attend a funeral... Uh, You'll often hear uh, from speakers these kind of expressions of hope that are given at a funeral service. People will say things like, oh, well, I know he's he's in a better place now. Or, I know she's looking down on us and watching over us. Or, um, he'll live forever in our hearts. So, you know, people will say these sorts of things at funerals in an attempt to sort of hold out some sort of hope that there is more to life. And it's, it's a little bit surprising when you hear those phrases because, by and large, our society has kind of 
abandoned belief in God, certainly in a day-to-day living it out sort of sense. We see ourselves as being fairly scientific and logical uh, and quite frankly there's no scientific evidence for life beyond death. It, It goes beyond the realm of science. Science can't really investigate those sorts of matters because it's concerned with just, you know, this world here and now and being able to replicate kind of experiments to see what's going on. And I think what people are doing in those moments when they're kind of saying these sorts of things and holding out hope, they're kind of drawing on some of our Christian heritage in our culture, that kind of there is this place called heaven maybe, there is something that we can hope for uh, beyond the grave. And they're kind of grasping hold of that because they feel like in the face of death, in the cold, hard reality, being in a funeral service uh, with someone there in a coffin, that we need something more. And so they offer these sort of vague hopes, um, trying to hold that out. In some ways, it would be more honest if someone got up and said, do you know what? I don't believe in God, neither did Fred. So that's it. I mean, you know, he was a good bloke and we'll remember him for a while, but frankly, that won't last long either. I mean, in 50 years' time, people probably won't even think of him, won't even remember him. That's pretty cold, (laughs) pretty harsh. Um, You'd probably uh, offend people if you did that at a funeral. Don't recommend it. Um, But it would be more consistent um, in terms of the lived reality for people who don't believe that there's a God to actually be consistent Uh, rather than holding on to these vague hopes. Now, of course, if you do believe that there is a God, and many people in our uh, society still do believe that there is a higher power, that there is a God, then that can change the equation somewhat. Because if there is a God, if there is this all-powerful being, then maybe he can do something about death. But what will he do? What will it be like? That's really the question uh, that we're looking at today. Um, For some of you, this is more of a theoretical question than others, right? We have a range of ages in our church. Uh, I I say, you know, this church has people from age 0 through to 96. When you're at the more 96 end, this is not a theoretical question. You're sort of thinking, I know that very soon I'm going to die, so what hope do I have in the face of death? For those of you guys who are younger, this is probably not something that you think about all the time. It's kind of, um, you sort of feel pretty immortal, like you're going to go on forever. But none of us know uh, when our time's going to come. I went to uni with a a good mate, a guy called Steve. He was a really fit guy, really smart guy, doing an engineering degree. And in his honours year, He dropped dead on the footy field. His heart just stopped. They were unable to resuscitate him and he died suddenly and unexpectedly. We were shocked. None of us was expecting it. His family uh, left with that tragedy of sudden death at the age of 20. And that's the reality. None of us knows when our time's going to come. Death is something that we will all face. We might think that it's way down the track, but it could be at any time. And even if it is a long way off, actually the way that we think about life after death and the hope that we might have impacts the way that we live now. 
if we believe that there is more to, to life than just the here and now, then it actually does shape the decisions that we're willing to make and the way that we're going to live. If we think that when we die, that's it, then you better live it up now. But if there is something more, if there's more to life than just this earthly life, then there's not that fear of missing out, that you have to grab it all now. You can afford, actually, to live differently, sacrificially, living in a way for God which is different because of that hope that goes beyond this life. Uh, Well, today's Bible passage deals with this question, these issues of life after death. Uh, And in our Bible passage, Jesus is questioned by uh, a group of people called the Sadducees, about resurrection. Resurrection is the hope that we will be bodily raised back to life following death. That's the question that Jesus is facing today. So again, page 824 in your Bibles. And if you've missed the last two weeks, just to catch you up, Jesus, uh, in this series, we're looking at Jesus being confronted by different religious groups and being asked questions. They're trying to trap him or question him. So the first week we saw Jesus versus the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, and they came straight at him, went for his throat. What authority do you have? Then last week we looked at a group called the Pharisees, and they tried more of a let's flatter Jesus and try and trick him approach. Uh, They were asking questions about should we pay taxes or not, trying to get him in trouble with the authorities or put him offside with different people. And in both cases, Jesus has been able to answer the questions that have been thrown his way. Uh, And verse 18, uh, that Bronwyn read to us, uh, starts our passage like this. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now, the Sadducees is a group that we know less about than the group we looked at last week, the Pharisees. They're both religious groups at the time of Jesus, But there's a lot less in the Bible about the Sadducees. This is the only time in Mark's Gospel that they're mentioned. Uh, So hardly mentioned in the Gospels at all. Uh, Three times in the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church, they're mentioned. And in fact, Kirk uh, preached on one of these passages from Acts 23 uh, just a couple of months ago, where Paul was arrested. He was brought on trial before um, this high court Uh, that existed the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. And again, the issue was resurrection. Paul threw in the issue of resurrection to get the Pharisees fighting with the Sadducees because they had different opinions on whether there was resurrection or not. Um, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, you can sort of think about it a bit like this. They're a bit like political parties we have today, like Liberal and Labour, kind of. Um, They were kind of opposing groups who represented different viewpoints. um, And one of the key things that they disagreed on was resurrection. The Pharisees said, yes, there is life after death. God will raise people from the dead. The Sadducees said, no, this life is all that there is. The other difference between those two groups is that the Pharisees had a number of additional teachings um, from like rabbis or Jewish religious teachers reflecting uh, on uh, the Jewish scriptures, extra rules, ways to help them interpret and to keep the laws, whereas the Sadducees said, we don't give any weight to that, 
And it's likely that the Sadducees actually only thought that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, had any authority. They just stuck to the first five books of the Bible only. Which would also explain why they didn't believe in resurrection, because it's only later in the Old Testament, uh, the first part of the Bible, that that is filled out in some more details. So Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12 are kind of two key places where this idea that God will raise people from the dead is spelled out in more detail, which could explain um, why the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. In any case, they come to Jesus with this question about resurrection. They're assuming, I think, that Jesus does believe in it, that he has the same view as the Pharisees, but they think the whole idea is stupid and they set up this scenario to try and make it look stupid uh, and make a fool of Jesus. The scenario that they bring is that there is a woman and she marries someone, but he dies and there's no children, and so she then marries this guy's brother and one after the other marries seven brothers. They're drawing on a part of the Bible uh, from Deuteronomy 25 where if uh, someone died, then a brother had a responsibility to marry his widow in order to look after her and in order to keep the family line going. This is strange to us. It's a bit offensive, particularly I think you know, women just cringe at this idea, particularly if your husband's brother is someone that you'd never want to be married to. Um, <laughs> We have a very different view of, of marriage, you know, where it's much more about my personal feelings for someone rather than this idea of you know, family lines uh, and things like that. And so it's understandable that we react to it. It's a very different society being spoken about here. Uh, in any case, the scenario that they're bringing, it's not really dependent on this law. I mean, it could be any situation where there's remarriage Someone dies and you remarry someone else who's not a brother of the person or divorce and remarriage. Same sort of scenario. The question is, Jesus, if this woman has been married to a lot of different people, when God raises them all from the dead for the life to come, who's she married to? She was married to all seven of them. How's that going to work, Jesus? Solve that one. Really what they're trying to do is they're kind of playing for crowd laughs. They're trying to set up this ridiculous situation. You can imagine the sort of people in the crowd giggling to themselves, thinking, this is, this is just ridiculous. Uh, it's a bit like I saw a debate a couple of years ago between an atheist and a Christian, and the atheist in that debate went for this kind of crowd laugh, make the Christian look ridiculous approach. Uh, and he did it like this. Um, he picked on do you know in the Bible, uh, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he goes up from his followers back into heaven? And in the book of Acts, it says Jesus sort of went up and then he was hidden by the clouds because um, he went back into heaven. And the atheist picked on that and he said, okay, let's uh, be generous here and let's assume that Jesus moves up at just below the speed of light. Okay, because that's about as fast as you go. Once you approach the speed of light, mass increases and, you know, all of that sciencey stuff. Anyway, he said, let's, let's say Jesus is travelling just under the speed of light. Well, it's been 2,000 years since this happened. 
Jesus, travelling at that speed, is still only at the edge of our galaxy. And he's got 14 billion light years before he even gets to the edge of the universe. So how can you stupid Christians say Jesus is in heaven? Solve that. Right? And we go, what? Like, who said that you've got to kind of travel out of the universe to get into heaven, you know? But there's an assumption that this guy is making and he's trying to make Christian belief look ridiculous. The Sadducees are doing a similar sort of thing. They're trying to make this belief that there is life after death look ridiculous with this sort of scenario and put Jesus in it. Well, Jesus answers their question and he points out that the Sadducees are wrong for two reasons. Firstly, he says, you're wrong because you don't know your Bibles. You haven't read the scriptures properly. You haven't listened to God's word. And secondly, you're wrong because you don't know God's power. You're underestimating the power that God has to be able to raise people from the dead. And he points out that one of the assumptions in this scenario is wrong. In the same way that I'd say, well, that assumption of that atheist is wrong because he's saying you've got to travel outside the universe to be in heaven, which is a misreading of what's going on. Jesus is saying you've got this scenario wrong because you're assuming that resurrection life, the afterlife, life beyond death, operates in the same way that life here does in terms of marriage. And Jesus says, look, Marriage doesn't form a part of that life in the same way that it does on earth. And so the question of whose wife or whose husband a person will be is kind of irrelevant to that situation. Now, pause there because that might unsettle you, me saying that. Um, If you are married to someone, and for people who have been married to someone for quite a long time, it can be hard to imagine that. And, And you might be thinking... Now, hang on, I I was really expecting and hoping that in the life to come, I would still be married to that person. Jesus is sort of undercutting that. It's tricky because there's lots of things we don't know about what the afterlife will be, life beyond death. Uh, But Jesus here is, is sort of saying marriage doesn't operate in the same way. Now, it's true that love will be part of life beyond death. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love enduring. It's the thing that remains. It never ends. So love certainly carries on. Relationships form a key part of that. In the descriptions that we have in the Bible of of what life after death looks like, it's clear that relationships are important. But marriage doesn't seem to operate in quite the same way. It seems that there'll be such intimacy between us and God, such a perfect relationship being in the presence of God, and that all of our relationships with others who are there will be so perfected that this kind of exclusive one-on-one relationship of marriage doesn't quite operate in the same way. Now, I'll be honest, I find it very hard to get my head around this. My brain is too small to really understand how this works. And we've only got glimpses of it as we read through the scriptures as to what life beyond death looks like. And it's hard to describe. There's different images and we've only got glimpses of it at times. 
And sometimes it feels like it's kind of less what it is in this world, but the Bible keeps saying it's greater and, and bigger, it's just really hard to describe and hard to imagine. Uh, the writer uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the guy who wrote the Narnia series, he's really helpful on this stuff. And one of the images he uses, he says, imagine that you live in a world where the only instrument is the piano, right? That's, that's all you've got. There's no other instrument than the piano. And you've come from another world where there's symphony orchestras and you're trying to play on the piano what, you know, a symphonic orchestral piece is like, and you play it on the piano and people go, you know, it's all right, but you can't capture what it's actually like with all of the instruments playing together just on a piano. And it's a bit like when the Bible tries to describe, I think, what heaven is like, what life after death is like. It's trying to take something that is bigger and greater that our minds can't understand and put it in words and ways that we can understand. What's clear is that Jesus is affirming the reality of resurrection. He believes that there is life that goes beyond death. And he goes on to demonstrate why it is that the Sadducees should believe in the resurrection. But he chooses what you might say is an unusual Bible passage to make his case. He draws on this passage which comes from Exodus, Um, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, which is a story about Moses, who was one of God's prophets, one of his servants, who had an encounter with God at a burning bush. You might know the story. The bush is kind of on fire, but it's not burning up. And God meets with Moses, and he introduces himself to Moses as, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, those three people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are well and truly dead by this point in history. But Jesus seems to be drawing on this passage to draw our attention to the character of God. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the people that God made a covenant with. A covenant is a fancy word for a promise or a set of promises. So God had said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I'll give you a land where you can live. I will bless you. And through you, I will bring blessing to the whole world. So God made that promise to Abraham. And then he repeats that, those same set of promises, that covenant with Abraham's son, Isaac. And then he repeats it again to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So it seems that Jesus is drawing on this passage to remind us of the type of God that we're talking about, the sort of God who makes promises and keeps his promises. So there's nothing in that phrase, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob, that implies explicitly that those three people are living in some way. They're just described as God is the God of them. But because he's the sort of God who makes promises and keeps promises... Because he's the sort of God who is a faithful God and sticks with his people, because he's the sort of God who loves people and is committed to people, Jesus is saying that is evidence that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are not dead and gone. The grave is not the end for them because God 
is committed to them. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So there is hope for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And there is hope for us too. So let me ask the questions again that I asked at the beginning. What hope do you have in the face of death? Do you have any reason to think that there is more to life than just the here and now? How confident are you about it? The teaching in this passage, the teaching of Jesus, reminds us that hope for life beyond death doesn't lie within us. It's not like there's some inextinguishable part of the human makeup and constitution that cannot ever be killed. It's not like there is kind of this immortal soul that the Greek philosophers spoke about that kind of lives on and that is why there's hope for life beyond death. As far as the Bible is concerned, there is only one who is immortal and that is God. This is what Paul writes in in 1 Timothy Chapter 6, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. God is immortal. He lives forever. But we are mortal. We die. Uh, In and of ourselves, there is no hope beyond death. There's nothing within ourselves, there's nothing within our own strength that could give us hope beyond the grave. Nor is there any hope that's kind of grounded in other people for us. You know, it is true that we remember people in that sense, you know, people live on in our hearts as we remember them and the good times that we've had and the relationships that we've shared together. That's, that's true and that's, that's a good thing to think about. But it's also pretty flimsy and pretty short-lived. I don't know, how many of you would know the names of your great-great-grandparents? There's a few people, there's a few family historians around who kind of are really good on that stuff. Um, But for most of us, we'd find it hard to kind of name them. And even if we can name them, we don't necessarily know that much about them. And so this sense in which people living on forever in our hearts, it doesn't really happen because our memories are fairly short and our own lives are fairly short and things get lost um, in the mists of time. It's not a very strong basis for hope. The basis for a strong hope, the basis for a sure hope is in God. If you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, then the hope for you beyond death is based in the character of God, who God is, his enduring love, his unshakable faithfulness, his unbreakable promises. Uh, And your hope is grounded in the power of God. God's power that brought creation into being is the power that can bring new creation. 
God's power that can sustain life now can sustain your life beyond the grave. God's power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can raise you from the dead as well. And you see, that that really is the key. As we move forward from this interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees, it is the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead in a tomb but rose to life, that is the certain ground of hope for us who follow Jesus. It's a historical event. It's something that happened. It's something you can investigate and look at the evidence for and say, yes, that really did happen at a point in history. And it is the thing that the Bible points to and said, just like Jesus was raised from the dead, so God will raise you from the dead as well. We rarely use the description of God that Jesus uses here. We don't often speak about God as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If if people ask you, who's the God that you believe in, you probably wouldn't say that. More often we describe God in the terms that Jesus tells us to speak about God, that he's a heavenly father, which speaks of the fact that God is relational and committed to us and has that relationship with us. Uh, And a bit further on in the New Testament, Paul speaks of God using these terms. This is in Galatians chapter 1. Paul says that he is sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Who's the God that we believe in? The God that we believe in is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. He did that with Jesus He is the God of the living and not the dead and he will raise us from the dead as well if our faith is fixed on Jesus. One of the things that I love to do when I meet with older members of the congregation who are dying, when I go to pray with them and uh, speak with them as death is approaching, is I say these words. You are perfectly safe in the hands of God. You are perfectly safe in the hands of God. Because God's hands are strong, powerful. And God is a God of love and faithfulness who is committed to his people. Those people can have comfort and confidence as death is approaching, not because of who they are and what they've done, because, but because of who God is, of his love, of his faithfulness, and that he is powerful and strong enough to actually do something in the face of death. Is that something that you believe as well, that you are perfectly safe in the hands of God? That's something that is worth knowing not only when death is approaching us, but also now, no matter how young or old we are, knowing that assurance of what is coming so that we can live life now with great confidence, trusting in the love, the faithfulness and the power of God. Let me pray. God, help us to uh, know and understand both your character as loving and faithful and your power that you are able 
to do amazing things, even to bring us back from the dead. We pray that these truths would filter into our lives and into our minds and would shape the way that we live, that we might live with confidence, with assurance and with great boldness in your name. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 